In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I threw myself back into being a chaplain. From that standpoint, I did not take care of myself. I kind of went through the steps, but I didn't do the hard work. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos and I'm here with our producer co-host and good friend dale culver how was your uh, father's day man it was excellent no Sitting no fishing by. no fish but you did yeah. have a good time i sat by the lake yeah hung out with the boy hang out with the boy and the rest of the family it was good my daughter got me sushi it was amazing oh, yeah you said it was like one of the best little vacations you've ever had as a family Why? yeah just uh low stress going into with the expectations and so usually there's always, you know, those little things where kids are get like fighting and stuff like that over stupid things. And it was uh it was quite relaxing. We had a great Father's Day too, man. We uh, had a bunch of lawn games, uh can jam with a frisbee. It's so cool. And then this other game where you put a can on top of a pedestal and you try and knock it off of the frisbee. Oh. And we played a game called Left Right Center. It was a great, great Father's Day. But in our family, it's always the opposite. Our family, if you ever come to a Ramos family gathering, stress is like the last part of our name. So Ramos stress. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's very high energy and loud and the three sons. And, and uh, it is, it is uh, if, if you're like a mellow person, you might sit back and enjoy the show. Or you're going to be stressed out because we just are going at it all the time. Well, when I hang out with your family, it's relaxing for me. So I don't know what that says. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, buddy. But hey, yeah, that was a good, great Father's Day. Great, great day to celebrate (laughs) being a dad with your kids and those you love. And I hope our guys, uh, they're going to be listening to this podcast in August. So, but we're recording it the week after Father's Day. But hey, do you, uh, I got to tell you, man, I'm really excited about our guest today. But first of all, let me say this uh, just let our guys know. So, about a half a dozen times a year, we strategically interview what we call our average Joe's arena heroes. Now, the funny thing is this guy today, his name is actually Joe. So anyway, we also highlight these guys on our weekly equipping blast through what I call our hero story, or we also call them our Wamji or our when a man gets it story. So these guys are just like you and me. They're the, they're just the guys out there in the arena, getting it done, fighting for those people and causes they love. And man, they are our heroes. And we want to highlight those guys 
half a dozen or so times a year. Now, don't get me wrong, our experts and authors are our bread and butter, but it's the average Joes and the, who are the local heroes and who are in the men in the arena getting it done. And that really is our target of this organization. It's those guys <clears throat> driving to work right now, listening to podcasts, and those guys are our hero. And we want to highlight those guys, and we want to share their stories. And so, man, keep s- sending your stories in, guys. We, we love, love, love uh, celebrating those with you. And so I'm excited about today's guest because he and I actually go back 20 years. He walked in my room one day. He's he, he's old enough to be my father, not quite, but he's seventy. But he walked into my off into my uh, office several years ago. He was probably in his, well, shoot, fifty, about fifty, had just gone through a divorce, just got remarried, and had really kind of he'll tell his story. But came in and uh, we he became a dear dear friend and <clears throat> a great youth worker for me. He was my youth staff. He just really, really was awesome. And being an older guy, and I was a younger guy, he constantly was correcting me and redirecting me. And when you hear his voice, he's got a big, dark voice. And he's like 6'6", so no hair. So he'd walk up to me, and you'd be like, uh, what's up, Joe? You know, and be like, well, you need to do this. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. And so he would correct me. I remember one time he told some people that I discipled him, and I almost laughed out loud because if I discipled him, he mentored me without knowing it. And so I'm really, really excited to have this guy on the show, and uh, we've been really good friends uh, ever since for 20 years. So he's going to share his story. I've, I've walked with him and seen this story unfold, and so uh, really, really excited about today's guest. Before, before we bring him on, I want to invite our guests to go over to our website. In the top right corner, we're going to have, we have a button up there. And you can get a brand new copy. This is like brand new, and it's going to be called, it's called, let me rephrase that. I want you to go to that top button, click on it, and I've got a brand new edition. Nobody's seen it before. It's going to be brand new in August called Of Guts and Men, 30 Days to Unlocking Your Most Courageous Version. And you guys, you're going to love this. It's a word study on the word courage in the Bible and what it means for men. And you're going to love this, guys. It's free for you. It's a short little deal. It's going to be 30, 50 to 60 book uh, pages long. Want to get you over there and take care of that. But before we do, Dale, do you have a man word for me today? I do. This word. Grieving. Uh, Is it grieving? Well, I know. Oh, dang it. <laughs> I was uh, going to throw out here resilience. Okay, talk to me. Yeah. Why, why is that a man word? Well, it's the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and toughness. Whoa, whoa, yes. whoa. So you case, actually have you the definition this. imprinted. That's hey, impressive. If, if some people don't know, I got to tell smarter them. than you look. I am oh, quite okay. the information right. hack. So, uh, <laughs> we, you know, as a man, a lot of times we're going through tough stuff and people are looking to us to see how we're going to react and how we're going to navigate through it now. Are we going to go through life bitter and mm. angry and be that guy that people who used to once be want to be around us are going to go. I don't want to be around that person yeah. because they're just doom and gloom. And so we got to have resilience. We got to work through stuff. We got to lean on Christ. Lean on those around us that are trying to lift our arms up. And uh, we got to find joy in all circumstances. Well, you know, you really model that well. Honestly, you are super resilient. You always are like happy. And I tend to get freaked out and stressed out. I mean, I'm resilient. Would you agree that I'm resilient? Oh, yeah. But I tend to freak, and then I need to calm. So I'll come to you for calming. But you're always calm, and so I really respect that about you. But you're resilient. You stick to it. You finish. You have grit. And we live in a world where guys don't have grit. They're soft. And so uh, to have a man who has resilience, who has the biblical trait of endurance into his life, who is, and, and this guy that we have on the show today, I believe, has that. And so I'm really excited about that. But hey, before we bring him on, do you have a uh, review? 
Yeah, this this review is also a, a little hero story too, all in oh, one. Oh wow, it's pretty great. And uh, this is from Jens Four on the Apple uh, Podcast app. Left a review here, and, it's, and at the top, I want to read this. It says, "Simply said, this podcast is continuously changing my life and my perspective on what it is to be a man—not just a male, but a true man." <laughs> I can see this reflected in my personal relationships, family, and friends, and even in my public encounters, acquaintances, and strangers. And so he says, "This podcast is convicting yet encouraging and instructional." So there's more to it. That's uh, so cool, we'll, man. We'll put this out there so you can read the rest send of it Send us someday. your uh, email, man, and we'll, or your address. We'll send you some swag. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I want to brag about my new, my old friend, <laughs> Joe Myall. Joe is 70 years old. He's been married to his beautiful wife, Melanie, for a year. <laughs> There's a story behind that. Lives in Port Orchard, Washington. Joe, uh, if you may know Joe as one of our arena coaches, he helps monitor our Facebook forum that has... Thousands of men from over 90 countries around the world. Uh, man, if you're not on that, you guys need to get on that. That'll really, really help you in your journey to your best version. He's also one of two men that I know of that has our brand tattooed on his body. And I'm not going to tell you where. But it's my pleasure to bring my friend Joe Mile on. Joe, how you doing, man? I'm well. It is an honor to be here. And uh, the, the, the tattoo is not a tramp stamp. It's actually on your arm. <laughs> there it is, right there. I showed it to our executive assistant today. She was like, wow, that's awesome. People actually do that? I'm like, well, yeah, at least two. That makes people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, man, it's great to have you on the show, man. Hey, Joe, uh, I just want to jump in, and I want you to share you know, our, your story because you're 70 years old, and uh, you've had a story, man. You've experienced a failure You've experienced grief. You've experienced great joy and victory and redemption. And so, uh, why don't you walk through? Uh, let's take. Let's go back to uh, 1989, and let's kind of go from there in about 10 minutes. Share that story. Okay. Well, 1989, I went through a divorce, having been married 19 years, and I've got a, I've got three sons and a daughter from that from that marriage. And uh, the following year, I remarried, uh, married Robin, and uh, she has had two sons. And uh, the younger one lived with us, and the older one lived with his with his dad. When I went through the divorce, I was I was really angry. I was angry with God. I was angry with myself. I was just an angry guy. You know, that's <laughs> that's the bottom line. That was that was probably a lot of you know, the cause of the divorce. Oh, um, I was just not, I was not the guy that, uh, I claimed to be, you mm. know, I intellectually, I accepted Christ as my savior in 1968 as, you know, as a nine, uh, I guess I was 18 years old, but for, you know, many, many years, you know, I was, I was more like a Pharisee. Mm. I was very judgmental, you know, that type of thing. So, uh, Fast forward to, to 1990, I, I remarry. Robin um, was not a churchgoer. And, uh, you know, I, um, I dropped out of church because I was angry. And then uh, about eight years later, God drew me back. Mm. You know, there were a series of circumstances. One of them was my, uh, my daughter was coming to live with us. Then, of course, Robin's younger son was still with us and, you know, teenager. And 
and I was looking for a youth program, you know, <laughs> where, uh, where they could be involved on the weekends, you know, and such. So anyway, did a little research and I found that El Moro Naz <laughs> in Los Osos, California had a really great youth pastor. Handsome, um, handsome the, too. Yeah. And so, as you said, I walked in the door. Actually, I started uh, with a, an adult uh, Sunday school class. It was called the Pots, Parrots of Teens. And we called ourselves Crack Pots. I remember that. <laughs> Jan Northington. Yeah. And so, um, got involved there, met a couple of other youth sponsors in that same class. Uh, Gary was one. Then, um, then I went and talked with you. I said, you know, I've been interested in youth work and, and such. So got involved there. And um, that fall, that was 1998, uh, that fall, I don't, I, I remember going in and, and talking with the lead pastor and said, you know, I'm just, I'm just tired of being like this. I'm, hmm. I'm tired. I'm exhausted from always having to be right. You know, that, that is an exhausting exercise. Yeah. Always being right. Even when you're wrong, you're always right. Mm. And we prayed. And then I don't remember the date. I don't remember the message. I don't remember anything other than one Sunday, God got a hold of me. And I ended up in a heap up in front at the, you know, at the, at the altar, basically. It must have looked like a, a, a football dog pile because there were... <laughs> There was a ton of people just laying hands on me, just praying for me. Never forgotten that. Mm. You were there. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So anyway, a few years later, uh, moved down to Pismo Beach for a few years. That was about the same time that that, uh, you left that church where you were called to um, McMinnville and kind of lost contact with you a bit. But... um, Eventually, we moved up here, up to Port Orchard, Washington. We both retired from the state and uh, made, the, made the big move. I got involved with the church immediately, Harper Evangelical Free Church in Port Orchard. Uh, great church. And uh, over the years, I've been involved with youth ministry a couple of times, been involved with men's ministry. Also got involved as a, as a chaplain with the uh, local fire district. 19, or in uh, 2015, in uh, April, uh, Robin became unwell and uh, went to the doctor. Uh, she had a long story short, there was a series of tests, MRI and, and PET scan and so forth. And uh, she was diagnosed with uh, metastatic cancer, stage oh. four metastatic cancer of an unknown origin. Oh. Um, it was the prognosis was two to three months to live. Oh, because she had seen her mother go through breast cancer and the chemo and all that stuff, and you know, she just said, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in even, you know, diagnostic tests. You, you say I've, I've got two to three months. I just want to make the best of it. We're going to have quality of life over quantity of life. Mm-hmm. God miraculously gave us two and a half years. We did some traveling. We went to Yellowstone. She'd never been there. Went to Utah, visited relatives and, and such. 
long story short, April or August of 2017, uh, she was awakened in the, night, in the night with some, you know, strong abdominal pain. We went back to the doctor, and um, at first they they did some more tests, and they thought she had uh, ovarian cancer. Oh gosh! So she um, she agreed to submit to a, a surgery, thinking that okay, if it's ovarian cancer, you know, they can take care of it, and uh, she'd come out okay. Well. In the middle of the surgery, she came, you know, the, the uh, doctor came out, the surgeon came out, says, uh, well, it's, it's not ovarian cancer. There's, there's no problem with her female organs, but her colon is full of lymphoma. So it, it came back as uh, acute lymphoblastic lymphoma. Oh, God. That, we got that um, about the middle of September, and uh, three weeks later, she was gone. So, so Joe, so Joe, let, can, let me go back to 2015. Okay. What, what we, we often focus on the person who has the cancer, but now right. that Robin has passed, what were you feeling and thinking when you got that news in 2015? Because that's a shocker to you as well. Here's a woman well, that you love, and now she's dying. And you yes. went, from, went from yesterday was great, today is horrible. What's going on there yeah. in your heart? The, the day that she did not, you know, she first felt unwell. We were on our boat. We 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 had a, a, a little um, twenty-five foot. I call it a, a recreational vessel. We just you know we could camp on it. We, we'd gone to a, a state park uh, and stayed the night there on our boat. We we had really had a lot of fun. We we had a, a great marriage. Of you know, I just. She, I loved her. <laughs> I'll just put it. She that was way. very, very sweet and kind. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, so, anyway, I was devastated. Mm. You know, uh, we got that word, and I remember just uh, standing. You know, we, we got home and just holding her and crying because everything changed. Mm. One simple statement, everything changed in our lives. Um, as I said, you know, we did some traveling. Then October came, and she was feeling much better. Um, she had had a, a, a tumor, you know, a mass in her abdomen that essentially disappeared. Uh, we went back, to the, went back to the oncologist, and um, he did another... Uh, CT scan and reading the, the report, I've still got those, those uh, medical reports, but the radiologist says treatment work, you know, the, the tumor's gone completely. And Whoa. originally the, this tumor had measured out at four inches by six inches by seven inches. She literally looked like she was pregnant and this, the tumor's gone. And, you know, I, there were people across the nation praying for her. I, you know, and so I'm thinking she's cured. But being a, a woman who, who knew her body, she knew she wasn't. But we, we treated it as if she was cured. Yeah. Uh, we just, we went on with life. 
she did convince convince me that you know perhaps we should sell the boat because that was that was something that um, number one we needed to to you know help with cash flow because she she also said you know Joe we don't need a thirty seven hundred square foot house yeah that was an awesome house with a great view yeah and uh, so we we downsized uh, we sold the boat we sold the house bought a a Rambler. And, uh, and it was really interesting the the house that we bought, we drove past probably three or four times a week. And I, I had always admired that, that piece of property. And, uh, one day on the, you know, one Saturday morning, it popped up on the MLS and, and she says, Hey, you know, that place is for sale. We should go look at it. Well, long story short, we bought it. So, <laughs> Um, you and, bought the farm. She, we did, and the way she uh, the way she put it was, the house we we lived in for ten years up here was the house she wanted. Now we're going to have the house you want. Mm, she knew what was coming. She did. She wanted to bless you. Yep, and wow. she did. Wow. Uh, two and a half years later, she was gone. Tell us about that night. Because some miraculous uh, things happened that night for you. There were. As far as the, you know, the Bible says that blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And you really experienced the comfort of God that night. I did. Um, this this is going to be a little difficult for me, so bear with me. No, hey, no problem. We, I appreciate you uh, sharing, Joe. So her, uh, one of her sons now lives in Portland. And during, right after we got the, well, I guess it was actually, it was, it was shortly before uh, she had the diagnostic uh, uh, surgery. Her son and daughter-in-law had come up from California, and they spent about two weeks with us. And just, you know, knowing that, you know, things weren't going well, and it wasn't looking good. And then her other son was up here also from Portland. So we just, you know, we just had some good times. But then... Uh, Joel and Hillary had had go had to go back to California, back to work. Ray had gone back down to Portland. Things started, you know, it started looking, you know, tough. You know, things were going downhill pretty quickly. My son Chris and his wife had come up and visited. Then we, um, Ray came back, and he called Joel and says, "You better, you better come." Mm. Anyway, that that night. You know, there's a term it's called death rattle. Yeah, it's where uh, a person is actively dying, and their uh, their lungs start filling with fluid. And I got to the point where it was impossible for me to listen to that anymore. I'd mentioned that I'd been a, a chaplain with the fire department, so I I called the the on duty battalion chief, you know, on his personal cell. And he asked if he could send somebody over just to suction out her lungs, make it more comfortable for her and for us. A little while later, I uh, heard a noise out in, out in front. So I, I walked out. And I was expecting to see, you know, ambulance with just, just the paramedics. Mm-hmm. What I had was the uh, 
on-duty engine company, the paramedics, the assistant chief who oversaw the, uh, the chaplain program, and uh, another paramedic who was off-duty. You know, the assistant chief and this other off-duty paramedic are both, they're both Christians. Mm. And they were actually at a, a small group at the assistant chief's house when the on-duty battalion chief phoned them. So all of a sudden, I've got a, a house full of, uh, of brothers mm. and sisters who, who just love me. So anyway... Um, the, the off-duty paramedic asked if, if I'd like for him to stay. And so he went home, grabbed some stuff, and came back. But in the meantime, the paramedics who came, who responded, they came and they did, you know, they suctioned her out and stuff. So everybody was a little more comfortable. And then uh, my buddy Matt came back and, and stayed that night with us. Mm. And uh, he was here when, when she passed. Uh, Joel and Hillary had gotten here about 45 minutes before she, before she passed. Mm. So they were able to be here. So anyway, yeah. Wow. That, that, was, that was how that went. Um, I went from a guy who had been to, I don't know how, just I'll never know, you know, how many similar calls I had gone to, I had responded to as a chaplain with the fire department. And I'd, I'd learned some things. I had seen some things. But man, I was on the other side of that table this time. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I, so, I'm sorry. I mean, we've, we've spent many times talking about this together and just kind of going through the process with you a little bit. Um. You know, it's really easy for a guy to get bitter. You, you shared earlier today that you were angry. You were an angry guy uh, before the 1998, and that God healed you of that. So now here you are, you know, watching your wife die, uh, and that's a horrible, horrible thing for anybody to have to go through. Where was God in all of this for you, and how did did anger? I mean, because we have this grieving process, and anger is part of the grieving process. So did, did anger bubble up uh, to overflowing through this process for you? How, how was your view of God changed through all of this? Was it? My view of God had changed in 1998. Ah, yes. I think I went from the intellectual believer— to the experiential believer. Some, some would, would say that that was where I actually had the conversion uh, experience. Yeah. It was in 1998. Okay. When, when God made, really made himself real to me. Mm -hmm. When we came to uh, Port Orchard and I, you know, uh, here again, Robin was not a, um, a church goer. She'd, she'd grown up Catholic. Um, she'd gone through parochial school all the way through high school. And, you know, I, I wholeheartedly believe that, that she had a, a relationship with Christ. But as she put it, she had done her time. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and I'm, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I never faulted her for that. You know, we had some great conversations over the years and, and I, I know where she is. I know I'm going to see her again. Um, but that just wasn't her thing. She enjoyed, totally enjoyed the social aspect when they had a banquet or something like that. She was always there. She was always there for that. Um, Harper church has, has an annual camp out, you know, one of the local state parks and you'll have 40 families, you know, at that, at that camp out. She enjoyed going to that. She enjoyed, um, conversation with, with several of the, uh, families, you know, that we knew. So anyway, God was there. He was here. I'll put it that way. Yeah. He never left. I, I never, that anger part was, was history. You know, I, I did not go through in regards to Robin. That was, that was not a part of it. Deep, deep sorrow, mm. deep, deep pain. One of the things that I had done actually went back to uh, 2015. I've got probably my best friend is, is another paramedic with the fire department and he, he and his wife attend Harper. I contacted them and I said, you know, here's, here's the deal. They're saying that, you know, Robin's just got a a few months. Would you be the gatekeeper for me? I knew that, you know, you got a church of 400 Mm -hmm. and then you got a a fire department with roughly a hundred personnel. There's going to be a lot of people wanting to know how things are going what, what can they do? You know, this type of thing. So Ken was the, the gatekeeper for the fire department. All communication, you know, went through him. Betty, on the other hand, was the gatekeeper for Harper Church. I just put it out there. Anybody, you know, you got any questions or anything like that, just ask Betty. You know, all the communication is going to go through those two. That took a tremendous load off of me. You know, and I highly recommend that, you know, if, if somebody's, you know, facing this type of thing. Then fast forward, you know, to uh, 2017, October 2017, Robin passed. They were already in place and, you know, they, they put the word out and such. Another thing that where God showed up was, you know, of course, you always have people who, who want to give, uh, you know, provide meals, that type of thing. Well, Joel and Hillary had to go back to back down to California. They were here that weekend. Robin passed really, really early on Thursday morning. Tuesday morning, we left. You know, they left. Uh, Ray left, and I left. I went back down to California. The following weekend happened to be my 50-year high school reunion. You know that. And I just wanted to get away. I just, I needed to get away from, uh, from here. One of the things that I had requested when it came to meals, I said, you know, rather than me ending up with, you know, a meal that I'm going to take two bites out of, might go in the freezer, might go in the refrigerator, might just go straight to the trash. I don't know. Uh, rather than do that, I said, you know, I would rather have people just set an extra plate at their table. Invite me for dinner. Doesn't have to be anything special. Just whatever you guys are having, just, you know. And so there were a large number of, of families that did that. 
And that that helped. You know, it helped get me out, out of, you know, the house that was just dead empty. You know, I mean, wow. it's just dead quiet, yeah. you know. Well, Joe, hey, Joe, we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsors, and we're going to come right back at you, man. Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at men in the arena.org so joe so going through this process you mentioned so this did you go through the five steps of grief like most people or did your grieving process look different or did you start grieving in those months in 2015 when that uh, stage four prognosis came in there was a combination yes i started grieving back in 2015 I've done a lot of reading, different different authors. The problem with the quote unquote five stages of grief. And those are denial, bargaining, anger, depression, acceptance, right? Yes. Okay, go ahead. It makes it sound as though it's linear. <laughs> yeah. You do one and then this and then this and then this and then this, and then you're done. That is a false idea. I appreciate you saying that. I, I was hoping you would say something like that. I can make it stronger. It's a lie from the pit. <laughs> <laughs> because there, there are a lot of people who, who have fallen into that, thinking mm. that, okay, I've gone through each one of these things. I'm done. You're not done. Mm. You're not done. That's a, that's a wise piece of advice for guys right now that are grieving, or guys who have friends who are grieving. Yes. You know, as you can tell, you know, this hurts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been... It's been almost three years. This brings up a lot of emotion. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing it. I had heard of an organization called Grief Share. It's nationwide. It's actually worldwide. Grief Share is a 13-week. Is a it's a programmed study, basically. Uh, you watch a video for 40 minutes with different presenters and different people who have gone through this. And then there's a workbook. Um, so in January, I think it was, of 2018, I, I went to a grief share group. I'd also, because Robin had been on hospice, I had a hospice counselor for, for a year. She highly recommended that I not go to a, a group here locally because of the possibility of running into somebody that I had dealt with as a chaplain. Oh. And so, so I went to a, a grief share group about 30 miles away. Those, uh, the presenters are still, still good friends of, of mine. So I went through that, but at the same time, I threw myself back into being a chaplain with the fire department. From that standpoint, I did not take care of myself. Oh, I kind of went through the steps, but I didn't do the hard work. I, I wonder if that's common for men who are grieving, Joe. To think of this step, this process as linear and just kind of power through it, and they get the yeah. other end and they're not done. They got to do a re, do, do do over. Yeah, there's a good possibility. Yeah. You know that that you know, but I know that I ran from it. Oh uh, yeah, nights I vegged. You know, of course we're talking about now. This is all winter, right? Which in Washington is dark and rain. 
dark and rain. And so I'm sitting here watching, you know, binge watching TV, really not doing much, you know, not getting any exercise. In retrospect, I should have been going to a gym. I, I should have been out there doing stuff. Yeah. But I wasn't. Other than going to dinner every couple of weeks with, with friends, that was it. I went back and looked at the statistics uh, with the fire department. There are 260 calls for service for a chaplain in 2018. And I answered 96 of those, I think it was. Wow. Over a third of, the, a of the calls. And, and the vast majority of them are where somebody's passed away. Mm-hmm. I was not taking care of myself. I was busy taking care of a lot of other people, but not me. So in December of 2018, I made some some very poor decisions. I, I became involved with a, a woman who was much younger. She's a believer, but in my pain, in my grief, everything was clouded. You know, my judgment was clouded. There was a moral failure. And subsequently, I lost my ministry in the fire department. Well, you know, it's interesting, Joe, because I remember going to dinner with you one night in Port Orchard, Shannon and I, and you were telling me about this gal, and I'm going, I think I even said this to you, this, she sounds broken. I mean, I I knew she was she, broken, and it was yeah. out of character for you to date somebody who, in my opinion, was broken. But what I failed to see was that you were broken. You were broken yeah. by grief. And yes. so in your grief, you were clouded, right? Yes. Okay. Continue. Yes. And, and, she, and she is. She, she is a broken person. Anyway, as I said... You know, it, it led to the loss of my ministry with the fire department. That was one another grief on top of grief. So I went back to the grief share, same presenters, um, different group, went back and went through it again, this time doing more of the work. The interesting thing is God in his love and his wisdom prevented me from making a huge mistake. So now, Joe, it's really interesting here because I want to. There's a beautiful climax to the story, and I want to make sure we get to it. Right. So I want to. I want to ask you this. Okay. So you've just shared a, a pitfall that you had while grieving, right? You got involved in a relationship prematurely. You uh, didn't. You masked your grieving by serving, and and projecting it outwards, and, and in doing so, you you hindered your own grieving process. Yes. What would you say to a guy who's listened to this podcast who has a friend? I think you've expressed, if there's a guy listening now who's in the middle of grieving, I think you've done a really good job of articulating some pitfalls. What would you say to a bro, a man, one of our men on the roof, who, or a band of brother, you know, a brother who's locked arm with a guy who is grieving? What would you tell a guy who's trying to help a friend who's grieving Hey, make sure you do this and make sure you absolutely don't ever do this. Okay. Let me uh, give you, uh, I'll call it the tale of two men. Okay? <laughs> I'm sure you experienced both. This, absolutely. And this, this is from my own experience. I had a guy that I was developing a, a, a relationship with. You know, he's, he's had his struggles and, you know, I was walking alongside him. He came up to me on uh, Super Bowl Sunday of 2018, walks up to me at church. He says, Joe, I, I, I know exactly what you're going through. 
uh, let me tell you about my really nasty divorce. And I walked away from it. Later, he came up to me again. He said those same words for, you know, three times in that one day. Joe, I know exactly what you're going through. Let me tell you about my horrendous, nasty divorce. The third time he told me that was at his, his house. His wife was lying on the couch watching the Super Bowl. You know, kind of large room, but we're in this other part of the room. And I lost it. You know, we talked about the anger. Yeah. He had said this twice to me at church. And I came home, and I thought about it, and then I went to his house to confront him. Oh, wow. And that's that's where my anger came up. And I lost it. And I literally screamed, pointing at his wife. I said, when you have sat and held your wife's hand as she takes her last breath, then you can tell me you know how I feel. That's so good, man. That is so well, you know, one of the things that I've learned because I was a chaplain and being in ministry forever. First of all, you don't know what the other person is going through. Don't ever say that. It's insulting. You can't yeah. ever, ever, ever say to somebody grieving, I know what you're going through, even if you've been through it, because it's different. And the other thing, uh, and, and I think you're going to get to this, is you can't, uh, the temptation for guys is to, to uh, uh, lean away, to shrink back, when really yeah. that friend really just needs them to lean into that. He needs them yeah. to engage, even though as guys it's hard. We can't fix it because the person has died. But we yeah. need to engage with a guy we love, even if we have nothing to say. Can you talk to me about this other guy in your story? Okay. The other guy, and his name is Joe. <laughs> another average Joe, arena hero. There's another Joe. His wife died of breast cancer several years earlier. He's a younger guy. He's in his 50s now. After his wife died, I would sit with him in church. This is before Robin ever got ill. I wanted to make sure that he knew that there was somebody that was, and, and you know, realistically, I mean, he had his own circle of friends who were closer to his age. But I wanted to make sure that he, he had some support. Well, he would see me at church, and he he could tell just by looking at me where you know where I was. Yeah, and he'd say, "Joe, let's go for a walk." And we'd go walk out in the parking lot, and he he just pray, he just pray. Mm. You know, never any advice. He'd ask how how you doing, and of course, he'd been there, so I couldn't lie, <laughs> couldn't couldn't go on for him. You know, yeah, yeah. That was that was Joe. You know, and and we still. We're still good friends. So what and, you know, every once in a while, you know, uh, we get together. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys who's you know his gift is is service. You know, he'll he'll do anything for you. And I've called upon him a couple of times, but but that was the big deal. You know, mm -hmm. that was the, the huge difference. He didn't say anything other than you know, can I pray with you? Wow. Well, besides um, grief share. What other organizations or books would you highly recommend to somebody who's experiencing grief or experiencing a loved one who is grieving? Experiencing Grief by H. Norm Wright. Experiencing Grief by H. Norm Wright. Okay. Yep. It's uh, 85 pages. I mean, it's, I know you like short books. Well, yeah, when you read 50 a year, you need the short ones. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's he's got a couple of others also. And then one that really ended up meaning a lot to me and, and had been uh, recommended by, by a fellow who was in one of the grief share groups was um, Shattered Dreams by Larry Crabb. And that, that played into uh, what happened later in my life. Those, those were two really good ones. Um, the neat thing about the Grief Share program is that they have a list of different books, different authors that uh, they're really, really very helpful. I so. appreciate that, Joe. So we've got 10 minutes. So I want to ask two more questions. And uh, the first one is, uh, there, you know, there's a God is a God of redemption. Uh, God is a God of restoration. You know, you, you, you lost the love of your life to cancer. Uh, through a failure, you lost uh, a very important and vital ministry that you're engaged in. And then God brought you around through the process and, and brought you into the arms, literally, of a wonderful Christian woman. Do you want to share the journey, just and really briefly, of how you met Melanie? Because it's kind of a funny story, in my opinion. Well, <laughs> God has got a sense of humor. There was this girl when I was in high school, 1967 was the year I graduated. Well, there was a girl named Melanie Martinez who was a year behind me in school, but she's only a couple of months younger than me, but because of how her birth date fell, she ended up starting the year uh, school a year later. Long story short, a mutual friend of ours lives in uh, Lapine, Oregon, and I was headed through Lapine on my way to California. I, I was going to stay over, spend a night with this friend and her husband, and then uh, go on down to California. Well, she had, she had this uh, mutual friend, uh, Melanie, who had lost her husband about in 2015. And uh, he had cancer. He was a, a Vietnam vet who uh, was affected by Agent Orange. She had invited... Melanie, you know, she said, hey, you know, this, this friend of ours, Joe Miles, is going to be coming through. You want to have a little, quote unquote, mini reunion. And, well, Melanie had uh, just moved back to Oregon from, from South Carolina and uh, literally had, had been back in, in Oregon for just a, a week or so. And she said, no, I've, <laughs> I've traveled all I want to. And no, I'm not interested in meeting anybody. So uh, this friend of ours had her husband take a photo of her and me outside of a little restaurant in Lapine, and she posted it. Melanie happened to see it, and, you know, she said, you know, they posted, you know, here's me and my friend Joe Mile. So Melanie saw that basically that I was a widow, widower, and uh, she had also been involved with, uh, with Grief Share over the years. She had both uh, been a facilitator, but then... After her husband died, she had gone through the, the process herself. So she she sent me a friend request and then a message and just said, you know, um, sorry to hear of your loss. And, you know, I've, I've gone through grief share. This is, you know, this is a great program. And if you ever want to, you know, you need somebody to talk with, you know, let me know. So I, you know, by then I'm, I'm down in California. I'm visiting my, my son and daughter-in-law and, uh, I see this, you know, so I, I wrote back, you know, well, thank you very much. I, I too went through grief share and, 
you know, if you need to talk, here's my phone number. Well, she would never phone. It's just not her thing. Yeah. She would never phone somebody, you know, cold like that. But she did give me her phone number. And uh, so a couple of days later, I said, you know, do you mind if I call you? One thing led to another. And I, <laughs> without, you know, it's, it's really a story. You know, I, I can't tell the whole story without telling her story. And it's not my, hers is not my story to tell. Yeah, I understand. I just, all I know is, because I was engaged in the process of grief and the, and the, 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 the pitfall, we'll call her uh, beforehand. And yeah. uh, then all of a sudden you go down to California and you post on Facebook. I went down to California and brought home a wife. <laughs> almost. That's almost. You know, that's and we almost were like, exactly. we were like, okay, Joe, you better what? call your kids. And you're like, their kids yeah. are okay. And so, yeah. and then we met Melanie and she, what you didn't say is that she was in full-time ministry for, 40 years as a, uh, in the assembly of God with a, her husband, her husband was a pastor. Yes. And so in the assembly of God, she was a co-pastor with her husband. And so you went from a woman who yeah. n- never went to church or hadn't for a long time to this woman who was immersed in the church. And so, uh, it's just yeah. really a, um, storybookish when you look yeah. at the redemptive quality of it. Absolutely. And, you know, it was interesting at some point, you know, and there were, there were a lot of people, a lot of her friends who had tried to set her up with somebody. Yeah. And she would, she would have none of it. But then uh, she had started making a list of attributes that, you know, okay, God, if if you give me a, a husband, these are the attributes that I'm looking for. And it was more than just, well, he's got to be a Christian. She had specifics that she was praying about. During the, the course of several phone calls, uh, Countless hours of, of phone calls. I'll just put it this way. I married her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently, I I said all the right things. You are the man who fulfilled and, the list. And, That's pretty impressive, and, Joe. And did, and did the right things. Hey, so, um, hey, Joe, we're out of time. But I do want one more question. I do want to ask one more question. And so, man, super. I'm really excited for you and... Shan and I got to spend a wonderful breakfast with you and Melanie about a month, two, maybe three months ago now, four months ago. And then again, about, about probably two or three weeks ago, we got to have a meal together, another meal. And we just really love her and love her heart for the Lord and her heart for you. And uh, I've just watched you become a better version of you because of her in your life. Yes. And so that's been really fun to watch. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just really cool to see how... when just to see how things transpire. But, hey, the majority of our guys listen to this show are 28 to 55. They're raising kids. you know. And, and some of these guys, uh, I actually know several of them right now, their wives are battling cancer or they've got friends who have lost, their friends yeah. have lost their spouses. What would you tell these guys listening today? What, what, what would you tell them one thing that they need to do based on our conversation today? Not just the ones who are facing this, but... Don't take anything for granted. Oh. Do not take your wife for granted. You never know. As a chaplain, I, I responded to, you know, sudden death, you know, where there's no opportunity to say goodbye. Uh, fortunately for, for Robin and me, we had the opportunity to have conversations, and we had deep conversations, you, you need to do that. You mm. need to have those conversations because whether they're battling uh, illness or not, just don't take them for granted. 
Oh, that's really good, man. That's really good. Joe, thanks so much, man, for taking the time to share your wisdom and your experience. And, and I know that was hard, and I appreciate that. Uh, tell Melanie we say hi over here on our end and thank her for t- uh, marrying you. <laughs> and, yes. uh, hey, guys, let's uh, get our boots on the ground, men. What's next? What action step are you going to take today because of what you've heard? And so here, here's what I want you to do, guys. I want you to sit down with your wife, not, not driving in the car, not facing the television. I want you to sit down with your wife. I want you to turn and face your wife, and I want you to look her in the eye, and I want you to tell her that you love her, and I want you to tell her why you are thankful for her being in your life. Now, I, I tell my wife I love her multiple times a day, but to sit her down, look her in the eye, face-to-face, and then tell her why you're thankful for her. I want you to do that, guys. So, Dale... Uh, we're out of here, man. Drawing you take us home now. What's up? Yeah, guys, we want you to go over to org and get your free copy of Jim's newest book that he wrote of Guts and Men. It's a 30 days to unlocking your most courageous version. Also, we'd like you to go to your podcast app and leave us a positive review, yep. and we'll read those when we see them. So until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.